0: Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to give too much away at this point, um, but I was about the age of kind of quite a lot of you, I suspect, when I became a Christian. It was just after I'd finished at university that um, I got I got saved and got baptised. Amazing time, and. Uh, Church was rather different in those days. It was the mid 1970s, actually. So don't, if those are good at maths, don't don't come out with any answers, for goodness' sake. <laughs> um, it was the mid 1970s, and church was very, very different in those days. And the teaching that, the teaching that I kind of was introduced to in the church in which we actually got married as well. Um, was quite interesting when it came to the gifts of the Spirit because we're doing a series, as you perhaps know, about the gifts of the Spirit and it falls to me tonight to do part two of um, uh, on the gift of prophecy. Well, as far as the people I was taught by was concerned, there weren't any such thing as prophecy in the church because that all died out when we got the Bible. And um, supposedly... <laughs> This made prophecy redundant, and it's taken me all that time ever since to get to the point where I am now, where I'm just, I've still got a huge amount to learn. But while we were praying, and the reason for saying all of this is while we were praying just now, almost simultaneously, three of us were praying, kind of got the same kind of word really, and I just felt there was something prophetic in it, so I'm going to start with this. And it was about the generation, the ceiling that my generation has got to in terms of experiencing the gifts of the Spirit and particularly prophecy becomes for your generation a flaw. Okay? I'm going to share with you tonight um, some stuff about the prophetic which has taken me something like 40 years to learn. Yeah? And I want, what I, I want to impart to you what I know so that you, that can be your starting point, okay? And so that you can go way beyond where we've got. Because let me tell you this, something about God that uh, we all need to know is there is always more. God is infinite. There's always more in him than we could possibly imagine, And far more than we have ever, any of us, already experienced. So I want to encourage you to keep pressing into the more of God. And what I want to talk to you about tonight is to give you the reason why that's an important thing to do. Because I want to give you, uh, last week you heard, was it James or Alice here? It was James sharing some of the kind of the nuts and bolts of prophecy in terms of New Testament. Well, I want to give you the big picture about prophecy tonight. I'm going to look, I'm going to whistle-stop tour. In half an hour, we're going to cover what the Bible says about prophecy from Genesis to Revelation. All right, so we could be here until quite late tonight. (laughs) Be warned. Hope you've got your sleeping bags. Um, But what I want to do in doing that is to envisage you and put into your heart what we are encouraged in the New Testament to have as our perspective on prophetic where it says, earnestly desire spirituals. And that's the word that's used in Greek, spirituals. Earnestly desire spirituals, especially that you may prophesy. And I want to to focus on that word especially. Why does it say especially? Why is prophecy so important? And you've got to get get why it's important, because, because unless you get why it is important you're not going to eagerly desire it more than anything else okay and so that's what I want to get you to tonight so that I get you to a position where you are in a position to go way beyond where we have got to with it yeah and I we will be the first ones to cheer you on as you press into the more that there is in God for us as his people Uh, in the context of gifts of prophecy. Well, that's my introduction. I haven't even started my notes yet, and already five minutes have gone. (laughs) I want to say something, first of all, about the power of words. Now, look, when I was a kid, even younger than when I got, you know, I'm not going back to however many years ago that was, but it was a very long time ago. But whenever anybody was really nasty to you at school and said horrible things to you and uh, teased you and all the rest of it, there was a defence mechanism that all kids used, and I'm not sure that they use it quite in the same way today, although it may, you know. And it was this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. All right? And that was supposed to ward off all of the nasty influence from the nasty words that were spoken to you when you were at school. But in fact, actually, it was kind of... More a sort of retaliation, really, because you went away afterwards and you thought about what they had said and it really got into you. And it hurt you. And it, it could you know, words are powerful. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. We see words can either bring life or they can wound. Our words can build people up or they can bring people down. And for us, living close to God, being filled with his spirit, enables us to be people who speak words of healing, words of blessing, words of life, words that bring fruitfulness and abundance, words that create joy, words that establish God's kingdom on earth, words that help to build the church and make her ready like a bride for the return of Jesus. And those are the things that characterize the prophetic. That is what the prophetic is about. I want to start in Genesis. I promised I'd give you an overview of the entire canon of Scripture. Well, highlights, edited highlights anyway. And I want to say something about the very beginning of the Bible. We see the power of words right the way through the Bible from beginning to end. And in Genesis 1 verse 3. We read this, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see, when God was at work in creation, he only had to speak, and there was light, and the heavens and the earth came into existence. Now, the scale is infinitely differently small, in a sense, but our words can have creative power when they're motivated by the Holy Spirit. They can bring about positive change in people's lives. And over and over in the creation story that we read that after God made something, he saw that it was good. And once God had made man, and I love this, he wanted man, and by man I'm using man with a capital M here, so it's including men and women he wanted man to be able to enjoy something of that process of creation too. And so we read in Genesis 2, 19 to 20, that God bought the animals and the birds he made to Adam so that he could name them. And Adam looked at the animals that God had made and he saw the unique qualities that God had given each one and he gave them names that reflected what he saw in them. In effect, he recognised and affirmed the qualities that he saw God had put into each one of them. And the prophetic operates like that in a a similar way for us too. Whenever we bring a personal word of prophecy to someone, it has that same quality of recognising what God has put into somebody's life, what he purposes for them. So we say something to somebody like this. This is what I see when I look at you. This is how I feel God has made you. I see this ability, this gift, this quality, this characteristic in you. And God wants to release it more and more so that in your life you can be a blessing to many. You see, prophecy, one of the functions of prophecy is to enable people to function in line with how God has actually made them and that's encouragement in a way and encouragement is a very strong feature of the prophetic and i'll say this here is a very here's a very practical little tip if you want to grow in the prophetic first of all just be intentional about encouraging other people make that part of your lifestyle Because if that becomes your natural reaction and response to the people that you mix with, you're actually creating uh, in your own heart a landing stage, a landing place for the Holy Spirit to come on the back of that and give you God's perspective on those people to extend what you are saying to them in the form of an encouragement. And that's the first stage in bringing prophetic encouragement to people. Now, the first time that the word prophet is used in the Bible comes in, again in Genesis. It's Genesis chapter 20. It's an interesting story and quite an obscure one, and you may not have come across it. But it's the story of Abraham when he pretends to Abimelech, the king of Gerar, that Sarah, his wife, is his sister. And uh, he's got reasons for doing that because he's afraid of this king, who's the king of a foreign country, that they're passing through. But before Abimelech, who really kind of has the hots for Sarah, who I think must have been quite an attractive woman, before Abimelech sleeps with her, God warns him in a dream that she is actually not Abraham's sister, but his wife. And that what Abimelech is doing is wrong. And so God sends Abimelech to Abraham to seek his forgiveness. And God says this to Abimelech. Genesis 20 verse 7, Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. So Abraham is the first time a man in the Bible is referred to as a prophet. And being a prophet here is connected with two things. One is prayer, and that's interesting. I think one of the contexts in which the prophetic begins to flow is in the context of prayer. It's one of the reasons why prayer is so important. It opens our hearts to hearing what God wants to say into the situations that we're praying for. And the other is this, it's about releasing God's mercy and grace to people. Okay, so God's saying to Abimelech, don't go to Abraham and he'll, he'll tell you what a rotten person you are in kind of having in your heart the desires that you have and all the rest of it. But he sends Abimelech to Abraham in order that he might experience through him God's mercy towards him and his grace. It's positive, isn't it? Incidentally, one of the first prophets mentioned in the Old Testament is a woman. It's Miriam. In Exodus fifteen twenty, just after the uh, people of God have crossed over the Red Sea, escaped from Egypt, Miriam rejoices, and it says this in Exodus fifteen twenty. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. So, in Miriam especially, we see a connection between prophecy and praise and worship. So, having just seen the connection between prophecy and prayer. We now see a connection between prophecy and praise and worship. And if prayer releases the prophetic, so also does praise and worship. Worship times are often times when God begins to stir what is in his heart into us for us to share. And in times of prayer and times of praise and worship, those are good times in which we need to be open to what God might want to say to us or, or show us uh, the, uh, about what is on his heart for the place the people and the place in which we are in which we find ourselves worshiping him or praying to him, and this emphasizes also that the underlying purpose of prophecy is to glorify God, and furthermore, the prophets are servants of God, and though they are servants, God reveals his plans and purposes through them so in Amos three seven bit later on in in the old testament we read this surely the sovereign lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants the prophets so in in the prophetic god entrusts us with the plans of his heart really but we Handle those things when they're revealed to us, not with any degree of arrogance, but with the humility that is befitting somebody who is a servant of the Most High God. And then we come to Deuteronomy, and in Deuteronomy we find the content. We find the law being uh, being explained, and prophecy becomes regulated by the law that is given um, through. Through Moses, how it is to be regulated. And from here on, the prophets effectively become law enforcers. They warned people when they failed to keep the law and became disobedient and distant from God, no longer living as his children. But as time went on, they also began to look forward to a new age to be ushered in by a Messiah, when the law would not be written just on tablets of stone to be obeyed, but be written on people's hearts, so that people became a people of faith who would desire to live lives pleasing to God, rather than simply going their own way. And so, whilst in the Old Testament the prophets begin to look forward to the coming of Jesus, the coming of the King of heaven to earth, We find in the New Testament, well, Jesus has already come, hasn't he? He's already ushered in this new kingdom of grace. And so the prophetic in the New Testament is increasingly looking forward to that time when Jesus will come again for the second time. That is the end goal that all prophetic is actually working towards, finally. And the role of prophecy in um, the church in the end, is one of helping to prepare the church as the bride of Christ, ready for his return. It's a huge privilege that we have if God wants to use us in that kind of way. That's what we're doing. Even if it's just bringing a word of prophetic encouragement to somebody to help them find how they're supposed to function and what their gifting is and and so forth and how they can be fruitful and how they can know the joy that comes from being fruitful. That is a contribution that releases, that, that brings, that makes a, something that brings a contribution to that whole process of the preparation of the bride. Now, a little bit about the function of Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets were a few specially anointed ones among God's people. They spoke the very words of God. Their prophecies were absolute in authority and their words when written down would become scripture. Their words were implicitly to be obeyed and they were either right or they were wrong. There were no kind of half measures and they could be stoned to death if they spoke from the wrong spirit as a false prophet, speaking falsehoods out of a desire to impress or control. Now I'm deeply thankful that I am not operating in any kind of prophetic gifting in an Old Testament context because I've blown it loads of times. You know, I wouldn't be standing here tonight, you know, if if that were the case. That's gone, you know. That's gone. I haven't got time to unpack all of this. But, you know, we can bring what God is putting in our hearts in total and complete security. That even if we don't quite get it right, it's not the end of the world. It's a learning situation for us. And we'll come on to an example of that even in the New Testament a little bit later on. But one thing that is still applicable from the reason why false prophets got stoned in the Old Testament is this. Desire to impress other people or desire to control people is just as big a no-no as it was then. And if the motivation, if the deep-seated motivation that is in our heart when we're bringing prophetic is to impress people or to control people or situations, then actually we're not operating out of the Holy Spirit at all. It's coming from our own hearts or potentially worse than that. And then very early in the Old Testament story in the book of Numbers, there's a hint of a time when prophecy is no longer going to be something for a few specially chosen people. We get this again in Numbers 11.29, again a slightly obscure passage really. Do you remember the story? Moses is leading the people through the wilderness. He's in charge of making decisions and giving advice to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. He's, He's worn out on his feet and he's an old man. And he cries out to God, and God gives him permission to appoint others who can actually help him in this process of judging situations before the people. And he gathers them together, and God puts his spirit on these, uh, on these men who are going to be his assistants. But two of them, Eldad and Me Dad, aren't there? They're off, I don't know, hunting, looking for sheep, looking after sheep or something. But one of the ones who has had the Spirit of God come upon him, when he sees that the same thing has happened to Eldad and Medad, even though they're outside the camp, he's a bit jealous. <laughs> and uh, he complains to Moses, you know, you shouldn't allow them to kind of do, you know, do the stuff. You shouldn't, you shouldn't release them to kind of prophesy into people's lives. They weren't even here when the Spirit fell. But um, Moses says this to that man, are you jealous for my sake? would that all the lord's people were prophets and that the lord would put his spirit upon them all and he probably he probably spoke that a bit out of frustration more than anything else but actually that was a kind of a prophetic foretelling of what actually was going to happen later on and with the joel the prophet uh, many years later He speaks of a time when the ability to prophesy will not just be given to a few individuals, but it will be for all those upon whom the Spirit rests. It's exactly what God was already planning to do, and that he was going to bring about in the age of grace with the coming of Jesus. And we all know, you, I think you're probably familiar with the words of Joel, I'll pour out my spirit, this prophecy in Old Testament times, hundreds of years before Jesus came. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they're the very words that Peter repeats on the day of Pentecost. When the Spirit falls on the disciples gathered in the upper room, and, the, and uh, they're filled with joy and, begin, and rush out into the streets and begin to just speak to the people that are all around them in their own tongues, prophetically, praising God in other languages that they didn't even know how to speak before that had happened. It's the beginning of the church age, it's the age of grace when prophecy functions with a different emphasis. When all God's people who are filled with the Spirit can prophesy. And, uh, and although there's a difference now in the, in the numbers who are able to prophesy and also in the weight that is given to the prophetic utterances that they speak. Nevertheless, the way that God speaks is still exactly the same. He continues to speak as he does to the Old Testament prophets through words, through visions, through dreams, through angels, through burdens, and through the natural world in creation. All of those things are means that the Holy Spirit will use to communicate prophetic messages through people. And then Jesus, well, he's the primary example of a prophet and one whose lifestyle is one that seriously kind of promotes it. And I'm just briefly going to mention a couple of things here. He brought words of knowledge regarding people and situations, didn't he? He knows the relationships that the woman at the well has had. He knows Zacchaeus by name, as I think uh, James mentioned last week. And he calls out the gold in people. And this I find is fascinating. You know the story where in Matthew 16 where Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter gets this revelation. I believe he has this revelation by the Spirit at that moment. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Peter, because it's not flesh and blood that's revealed this to you, but it's my Father in heaven. And you are Kephas, you are Peter. And on this rock, in other words, on the rock of your faith and the revelation that you've had of who God is, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you, or it should, whatever you, will, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound, is the tense in the original, in heaven. And whatever you release on earth will have been released. In heaven. And I believe that when Jesus there speaks of the keys of the kingdom, one of the things that he's referring to is the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are powerful in bringing about change, in bringing about blessing. And that's what is being dealt with there. And Jesus also prophesies regarding the future, doesn't he? Well, we've already talked a little bit about how the spirit of prophecy was released in the church. I'm just going to move on a little bit just to give you a couple of examples of the outworking of that then in the early days of the church in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, there are many occasions, many, many occasions where prophecy is involved encouraging and directing the disciples in their proclamation of the kingdom and convincing people of their need of Jesus' salvation. And if you want to do a study of the prophetic, read through the book of Acts and just underline Or make a note of every time you find prophecy is is mentioned or is happening. And the same dynamic that we see in Acts is true today or should be true today. Prophecy reveals God's heart and purpose for individuals, for groups, for churches and for situations. And in Acts we see, first of all, the way that it brings guidance and direction. Now I think in this church we're pretty good at personal prophecy, yeah? We're at level one. There's more. Remember what I said at the beginning? There's more. And another level is bringing guidance and direction. And we've got to grow into that. We've got to grow into that. And I, I wasn't going to say this. When I, I was just thinking about this during the worship time, actually. But in the days in which we live... The world is going to be desperate for a people who are able to bring the word of God specifically into situations that we're increasingly going to be facing. The wisdom of heaven is needed and a prophetic people, you know, God's people are the ones that are going to have some of the keys and some of the solutions revealed prophetically about how some of the situations that the world is going to be facing are going to uh, need to be handled But at the start of the very first missionary journey, um, Paul and Barnabas uh, uh, have this word. The church in Antioch are are meeting together. The leaders are are fasting and and worshipping God. It's interesting. They're not fasting and praying. They're fasting and worshipping. There's an interesting one. (laughs) While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And so we get the launching of the first time that the the gospel goes beyond um, Jerusalem, uh, Judea and Samaria. And the interesting thing about this particular message, first of all notice it's a verbal message. It's words. The Holy Spirit says something through somebody secondly it comes as a confirmation of something that is already in the heart of Barnabas and Saul something that they're already thinking about something that's already desire and it's a word that in effect is saying now is the time that you should go it's a timing word just hang on to that it's verbal it's a confirmation and it's about timing and by the way an awful lot of prophetic words that come through actually are confirming something that is already a dream being carried that's been sown by Holy Spirit in people's hearts. Yeah? And then here's another different example. Acts 16, verses 9 to 10, about when the gospel first comes to Europe from Asia. Paul is... He has a dream one night, and uh, he dreams of a man from Macedonia... And in the dream, this man, presumably wearing the garb of somebody from from that part of the world, um, says to Paul in the dream, Come over and help us. Come over and help us. And Paul is so struck by this dream, he knows it must be God, okay? Because he didn't have cheese the night before. (laughs) Right? And he shares the dream. (laughs) He shares the dream. With his team and together they conclude that this must be God and they need to do what the dream is saying. And this is what it says. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once, immediate response. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's a slightly different prophetic word. It's not verbal, it's visual. Well, it is verbal in the sense that the vision of the man from the man in the vision from Macedonia does actually say something, but it's a visual dream that he is having here. The Holy Spirit shows him something in a dream. Secondly, this isn't a confirmation, it's an initiation. It's starting something off starting something significant and in effect also it says that this is the place that you should go and there's one other lesson that we get from this one too and it's about the need for flexibility you see Paul, Paul and his team they had a fixed idea of where they needed to be going they were trying to get into Bithynia and they were hitting blockages and prayer warfare to get into Bithynia wasn't getting anywhere and the reason why was because God didn't want them to go there in the first place. He's got another plan. And so the lesson for us is let's be sensitive and let's be flexible with the way that we hold on to the plans that we have. And that applies to us as individuals, as couples, yeah, as groups, as churches at every level. Flexibility. What exactly are you wanting us to do? And that's why weighing prophecy is so important. I've got to get on. How am I doing, Paul? What time am I supposed to finish? (laughs) In a few minutes. You're not telling me how many minutes. That's a dangerous thing to do. All right, (laughs) I'll carry on. (laughs) Five minutes. All right, I haven't got very long at all. Never mind. Let me just let me just give you an example um, that we experienced. We were we were leading a church in Lowestoft, a New Frontiers Church in Lowestoft. At one point, we'd been meeting in schools for quite a long, a long, quite a number of years. We weren't very big; we were about hundred people, something like that. We didn't have any students because there were no, you know, there, were, there was no students in Lowestoft, it was just they were just very ordinary people, not like you lovely lot at all. <laughs> And we didn't have any particularly wealthy people. We didn't have any bankers. We didn't have any architects. We didn't have any solicitors. The most uh, well-paid, the best uh, paid people that we had in the church were teachers and nurses. And there were a lot of old-age pensioners and quite a few unemployed. So we weren't very well off at all. But we were desperate to get a building of our own because we wanted to be visible and we wanted to be in a place where we could effectively serve the community. And um, there was a guy that we knew as a pro- prophetic guy, guy called Keith Hazel, who's with the Lord now, who used to visit us on occasions. And I remember him coming and sitting in our front room in the house, and I had the eldership team there. And he brought this prophetic word to us. And this was in the this was in the 1990s, so this was quite a while ago. But I can still remember. It's a long word, but I can still remember the salient points. And he said, I'm going to cause you and enable you to find a building. And it's not going to look like a church or smell like or, or feel like a church or smell like a church. And it's going to be a place in solid ground, he said. And there was a lot of other stuff as well. And then right at the very end, he said, oh, and by the way, and I think he was hesitant to include this next detail because it was a little obscure to say the least but he did add it on with a degree of hesitancy. But he said this, oh, and somewhere or other there's a connection with milk. (laughs) Now, you know, he said, it could well be that it's a school or something like that, you know, where you're, you know, early stages of learning being imparted. Or it could be that actually is literally somewhere associated with milk in some way, like a dairy or something. So we, you know, we, were, we were really inspired. We had been looking for buildings. We'd given up on it because we couldn't find anywhere. But this word got us looking again. And um, after a very short period of time, just several weeks, we found a building on the edge of town which didn't look like a church or feel like a church or smell like a church at all because it was the place where they serviced the dust cart depots the dustcart lorries, it was the dustcart depot where they serviced the, the dust cart trucks uh, in in town. But we we stood in this place and we just knew that this was the place that God wanted for us. Even though looking around we thought, flip me, this is gonna need an awful lot of work doing to it. Um, and then we, we got to the point, we shared it with the church and, um, you know, and I, I shared, we shared the prophetic word and all of every bit of it, including the bit about the milk. <laughs> and then that evening, a little old lady called Ethel, who's also with the Lord now, rang me up and she said, David, you know that word you were sharing with us this, uh, this evening? Well, you know, that's on Hadnham Road, isn't it? It's Hadnham Road. And... Uh, that's named after Mr. Hadnam, and he had a farm up there, and he kept cows on that farm, and he had a dairy on the farm as well. And out of that dairy, they served the whole of South Lowestoft with milk. <laughs> and we knew, but we knew, but we knew that this was the place that God wanted for us. And I tell you what that prophetic word did it caused us to look and find, it caused us to know that this was the place, but actually, it put faith into the hearts of the entire congregation. And the result of that was that when it came to a gift day, one Sunday, this small congregation of very ordinary people, took up, we took up an offering and the headline in the local newspaper the next week, that high letters said, church raises 63,000 pounds which was a huge sum, and suffice it to say, that wasn't quite enough, and we had some loans from other churches and that came in a week before the deadline for signing the papers, and we secured the building. And that place is still being used today to, um, to bless the community. I'm, I've run out of time, and I've still got loads of material here, I'm afraid. I've got loads of stuff here. <laughs> Can I just say a couple of things very quickly, Paul, and then I'll shut up and... um, I haven't got onto Agabus, have I? Oh, dear. (laughs) I'm gonna have to say something about Agabus because it's important. Let me me say something about Agabus. Are you all right? If you wanna go, go. (laughs) Now, look, let me tell you about Agabus. (laughs) (laughs) Agabus is one of the only prophets in the New Testament who's actually mentioned by name, okay? And this is a very good example of the way that the prophetic actually helps the church be ready for what is about to happen. It's a predictive prophecy, if you like. And Agabus came to Antioch, and uh, it says this in Acts 11, now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world and this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea and that happened even before the famine struck. Okay, so Agabus enabled... The church um, to help out in a situation of huge famine that was going to strike a particular area, I think that's a, that's a hugely that 's a level of prophetic that it goes way beyond where we 're at, but we need to kind of move up a, a couple of levels to get there and then Agabus to Paul about his imprisonment in acts twenty one he comes he came to paul and, and the others. And he took Paul's belt off him and wrapped the belt around his own hands and feet. I hope Paul's trousers didn't fall down, by the way. But he says this to Paul, thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, that wasn't a warning to Paul to get out of town because he'd get arrested otherwise. It was a word to strengthen him to be ready for the ordeal that he was about to go through, which would end, in fact, in his martyrdom, in his death. Paul didn't shy away from that. He embraced it. But the word of prophecy prepared him for what he was going to go through. And his last years in prison, last period of time in prison, were very, very fruitful times for him but the interesting thing so this is another prophetic word that is about prediction in order to prepare but there's an interesting detail in it because agabus even agabus the only guy as far as i'm aware that is mentioned by name as a prophet in the new testament makes a mistake in it because it wasn't jews who arrested paul it was gentiles and agabus didn't get stoned Do you see, if Agabus can make a mistake, it's okay for us to actually bring a word of God and actually not quite get it right. We need to be encouraged by that and we can learn and grow. It's not a fatal, fatal thing at all. And the book of Revelation, I have got through to Revelation in the end. The book of Revelation can be seen as an extended example of this written to enable the church to be prepared for times of persecution. And so I'm going to finish, and I'm still I'm having to leave out one or two things, but there we go. The overarching purpose of prophecy, and I'm just going to finish with this. The per- primary purpose of prophecy is described in Ephesians 4, 12 to 13, where it says this, of the gifts of the Spirit in general, of which... Um, prophecy a a key one they're given so that the body of christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of christ you see prophecy prepares the church for his return prepares the bride makes her ready for him to come again and when we prophesy, we're part of the process whereby the kingdom increases and the church is prepared for, to be united with him forever. And So for that reason, I think when Paul says eagerly desire spirituals, especially that we may prophesy, it's with that in mind. And it, what an immense privilege. We've got an immense privilege of being involved in the process of the church being made ready for Jesus to come again. Don't you want to? That's going to be exciting, isn't it? You know, when you go to be with the Lord, you're going to see the fruit of every word of encouragement, every prophetic word that you have ever bore in your life to other people. You'll see the result of it. And the result of it is great glory coming to Jesus. And your joy will be boundless as a result. I don't want to miss out on that. Do you? Do you? So eagerly desire spirituals, especially that you may prophesy. And there's a heck of a lot more that you can kind of explore in that realm than I have ever experienced up to this date. And, and the world and the church needs us to press into the more that there is in the prophetic realm. Amen? Amen. I'm going to shut up. Paul, over to you.